0: Hey, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa.
1: Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability.
0: In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex,
1: but we're here to define it. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? Good morning. I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about today's topic, which is content and how much does it actually impact deliverability? I feel like there's a lot of confusion out there about this one, so it'll be fun to talk about. Definitely. It's kind of a hot topic and
0: things have changed so much over the last even just five years. And so there's a lot to talk about and help people figure out what what they should be doing with their content.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: On that note, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started uh, recording, but who is someone that you follow that you love their content and you feel like they do a good job kind of representing some of the things we're going to talk about today?
1: Yeah. So one ConvertKit customer that I really love their email content is a food blogger. And the blog is called Eating Bird Food. Her name is Brittany, but it's called Eating Bird Food, I believe, because it's like healthy food, but it doesn't taste healthy, that's for sure. And I've been making her recipes for this past week, especially her Crock-Pot recipes. But one email I just got a couple days ago was perfect. Grabbed my attention and I can't wait to make the recipe, but it was about the perfect chocolate chip cookie. I've been dying to make some chocolate chip cookies. So her subject line just got me ready to open that email as fast as I could. And we're going to talk about good content today, but what she did in this email that I thought was awesome is she just had about a paragraph of really great text copy that explained why these chocolate chip cookies are the best and kind of what to expect from them. She said that they were crunchy on the outside, but really soft on the inside, which sounds so good. And then she just had a picture of the chocolate chip cookies that look insanely good And then one really clear call to action, which was get the recipe and click on that button. So she didn't overload it with a ton of content. I knew from the subject line exactly what to expect and she delivered. So I'll be making those this weekend and I can't wait. Yeah, that sounds delicious. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What about you? I would have definitely clicked on that one as well because I'm always looking for a good chocolate chip cookie recipe. But on sort of that same note, there's emails that I see pretty frequently that always kind of grab my attention. It's Rasa Malaysia blog. Her name is B. She's also a ConvertKit customer and she has some great image content. So great photography, same similar call to action, explains like She'll do like, there's something really popular right now. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's the Dalgona coffee and it's basically like like whipped coffee and it looks incredible. I've never personally tried it, but I want to. And so similar to Brittany. Mm -hmm, That's right. She also has like the picture and then explains kind of what it is, what she tried out and then. Uh, one thing I really like that she does is she says, craving something different, question mark, click here to see all my other recipes.
1: Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Oh, those food bloggers. What would we do without them? I don't know, but I <laughs> I try to find like a new recipe like once a week. Usually it's baking, but mm-hmm. it really catches your attention because who can resist a good
1: like food picture? Oh, for sure. And I love the food bloggers who like the ones we just highlighted are just so good. The recipes are so easy to follow. So I cannot wait to make those chocolate chip cookies. I'll let you know how it goes. I'll send you a picture. Yes, please do. Perfect. Well, as we alluded to, today's topic is content. And this is kind of a heated topic in the email world. I don't know if everyone knows this, but there's a pattern that kind of happens where someone posts an article that's like, here are the 50 spam words you should avoid. And then that article gets posted within these little deliverability groups I'm in. And everyone is like, what is this? We don't agree with this. It's not right. I wish people would stop saying this. And I get both sides to an extent. So essentially, the way email used to work, like you said, is that if you just put in the wrong word in your email, it might go straight to spam just because of that one word or phrase. That's just not really the case anymore. But it doesn't mean you still shouldn't avoid those words that are in that article for other reasons. Right. And I've had customers
0: reach out before and say, so what if I have something that is free that I actually want to give away for free, but I shouldn't use the word free? And it's like no one's saying, don't ever use that word. Don't use it where it's applicable, but maybe don't overuse certain words.
1: Exactly. And if email filters still worked that way, then spammers, you know, they're unfortunately pretty smart and able to adapt really quickly. They would just send emails that never contain the word free. So we've just evolved past that point. And these days, it's really more about your sender reputation, which we talked about in last week's episode. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen. It's really great. But if you have a really solid sender reputation and mailbox providers trust you, using the word free is not going to send your message straight to the spam folder. However, if you are using a lot of those phrases that you find in those articles about words to avoid, like, order now, call now, limited time offer. If you're really heavily using those, there is a good chance your messages might start to go to spam, but not because those words are there necessarily, more so because people aren't going to engage with your message the way that they would a message that's more personal and more engaging and provides value to them. Right, and I mean,
0: it's easy to assume like those people using those words are only sending certain content. But if you think about it, like some of those food bloggers we mentioned, like they could still use free recipe ebook and they could say limited time offer, but they know their audience. And instead they're using words and phrases that would attract someone's attention who was actually looking for free recipe ebook.
1: A hundred percent, yes. I think it's so great to know your audience try and think about what they are going to be attracted to when it comes to your content. What made them follow you in the first place? What made them subscribe in the first place? They probably relate with you in some way. They really like your brand. So try and understand what your subscribers want from you, what they want to learn from you, what value you can provide them and lean on that and be less promotional act now, those kinds of things, because it typically is more off-putting and is just going to get buried in the inbox or hopefully not spam folder. But if people just aren't engaging with you enough, then they likely will start to go to the spam folder.
0: Well, and you also want to think about how, like I mentioned, these emails, her sending like name and the title of the email next to it is something that for whatever reason always sticks out to me when I look through all of my inbox. And you don't want to have the title of your email or even the content be so similar to someone else. So if everybody was using, you know, limited time act now, you wouldn't want to do that because then your content's not sticking out to your audience. And so I think it's important to think about what can you do differently? What can make you unique as a sender? And then also like what like you said what is your audience looking for because you need to you need to fill that gap of what kind of content you want to get up out there but also what kind of information your audience is like craving to receive.
1: So what we're saying here is that content does matter a lot just not in the way that a lot of people think it does. It's not a black and white thing where if I have this word and this word it's going to go to spam. If I take out that word and the other word, it'll go straight to the inbox. It's just not black and white like that anymore. It's much more about your sender reputation and how mailbox providers perceive you and the way that your subscribers have engaged with your messages from that point on. So if mailbox providers think you might be a little risky, maybe you received a lot of spam complaints and they're just not so sure about you, it is possible that a certain thing about your content kind of puts them over the edge and sends you to the spam folder. But as long as your sender reputation is really well-established and mailbox providers trust you, content alone is likely not going to do that. And something that I mentioned to you before
0: we started recording was I do see something that I like to bring examples of things that I see from the ConvertKit side of things because I think it helps maybe people identify with things they may or may not be doing. So something that I've noticed is someone will reach out and say, hey, I'm testing and my emails are going to spam. But the message they're sending has the word test in it. (laughs) And that's all. There's nothing else. I mean, it's just one word. So as far as content goes, that's not, I mean... There's not like a fast rule that it's going to always go to spam if you only use one word and one link or something like that.
1: Right, But it's just
0: not a great example for a test because it's not anywhere similar to the content you would normally send your subscribers.
1: Exactly. Yeah. If you're testing the way your email is going to perform, you want the test to look as similar to your actual emails as possible so that you're not getting just bad data, essentially. Right. And we always want to encourage senders to test. I think a lot of people are afraid to run tests and see what works and see what doesn't. And typically they just want a really quick fix when it comes to improving open rates or deliverability. But at the end of the day, it's great to run some A, B tests, see what people like, see what they don't like. Maybe find out, wow, when I send content that looks like this, I get way more clicks. But when I send, let's say, a longer email with a lot of text, not many pictures, maybe your audience didn't click as much. But there isn't a hard and fast rule around any of this. It's all about your audience, your brand, and what people expect to see from you. So for one sender, a long text-based email might perform best. That might be exactly what their audience expects, and they like how personal it looks, But for someone else, maybe someone with a really visual brand like a photographer, having a fully text-only email with a ton of copy just might not perform as well as an email with a bunch of pictures, some text, of course, to support those images, but something that looks a little prettier because it will be more on brand with them and what their audience is going to respond to better. So it's always best to test things like that on your end to figure out what does your audience want to see.
0: There will be customers whose audience has changed over time. And all of a sudden, you know, they may say that, see their open rates change in some way, whether it's good or bad. And it's important to think about how your audience grows as your list grows, what they're interested in. Sometimes even people who've been following you for a long time, their interests may change with what Kind of content you're providing. So I'll see people that have always had a lot of content and text and then the call to action at the very end. And I think it's important to remember like you, you can always put that call to action in the middle. I mean, you can adjust your content to make sense for whatever you're trying to get people to do. So if it's go visit your site, you don't always have to put that at the very end because sometimes people, you know, they'll, they do care about your content, but they're going to skim and get to kind of get to the point. And so every once in a while, so like I've told you, I don't always use content as like a basis for someone to like change their open rates drastically. Like I don't think, like you said, if you take the word free out of every email, you're not going to see like a 100% increase in open rates. But I do think it's important to consider the fact that maybe move your call to action button or maybe don't use emojis in your email title or just do something that kind of like changes what your audience normally sees because it can get a little redundant after a while if someone's been following you for a long time.
1: Yeah, this is the part of deliverability where it intersects so strongly with just marketing strategies and best practices. And it can be fun if you take some time to be creative, try and test things out. I love what you were saying about moving the call to action. And one good thing to do is always think about what value am I providing to subscribers? I know I'll say that probably every week, but it's true. Like you mentioned, if you want someone to visit your website, sure, you can have a button that says visit my website, but at the end of the day, why do I want to do that? I know you want me to do that because you want to make a sale, which is great, but I need to know what's in it for me as a subscriber. So maybe there's a new product that can be really helpful for me because I'm your customer and you know like what I'm looking for, what my needs are. So highlight that part of it, that there's this new product on your website. Here's all the amazing things it can do for me. And then I'll want to click that button, kind of like the chocolate chip cookie recipe. I definitely wanted to click that button because what's in it for me is some chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, that's a great example. (laughs) I
0: remember when, so before I even started working for ConvertKit, I attended uh, Craft & Commerce, which is a conference that ConvertKit puts on. Unfortunately, this year it was not able to happen because COVID-19. So we'll look forward to the next one. But I remember they would always say like, niche down, niche down. What does your audience want? And I think when you're first starting out, that's like a confusing thing to learn or understand because you get it. Like in theory, you get what they're saying, but like how it applies to you is very different for each customer and business. So Now that I've been working at ConvertKit and I'm able to go through and see what kind of businesses use our platform, I can see who's doing that really well. I can see who knows their audience, who engages with them, their subscribers engage back. And those are the people who have figured out exactly like the secret recipe for what needs to be in their content. Because not everything that you have on your website needs to be in an email you send your subscribers. like Sometimes it's just short and simple and you point them to where you want them to go.
1: Exactly. The email is grabbing their attention and convincing them that they need to go take that step that you want them to take. And the way to convince them, like we've said, is just make sure you make it really clear why they will benefit from doing that thing. And I love that. That's such a good example. I can't wait for crafting commerce next year. I'm really sad we
0: couldn't do it this year. I know, I am too. And on that same kind of note making things clear, call to action sounds like a pretty easy thing to understand. But I think it's overwhelming sometimes when someone has a lot of information that they want to share. I've seen emails where it's literally 10 links. Yeah. And if you do that, you're making it really hard for someone to make a decision. And that's ultimately the opposite goal of what you are trying to do.
1: And this also goes into knowing your audience and knowing what they want to see from you. Because I would say 90% of the time, you probably want to just have one clear call to action. It makes it really easy to know what you're supposed to do as a subscriber, what is the email saying, and you can just quickly point people where you want them to go. There is one customer of ours I'm thinking of Tim Ferris who sends a five bullet friday email, sometimes it's on Saturdays, but he has a ton of links. In a good way, because he's sending a newsletter, and so he's highlighting, here's what I'm reading this week. Here's what I'm listening to this week. And that newsletter is loved by so many people. So in that case, it works because it's what it's meant to do. It's a newsletter. People are clicking through all of the links. But for the most part, it's typically best to just have one really clear call to action. But at the end of the day, the goal is to know your audience, know what they want from you and know the purpose that your emails are serving. So
0: have you ever received an email that was extremely misleading? Oh gosh, here we go. I hate these. (laughs) Let's talk about it. (laughs) So I would say most of the time, like the emails I want to receive are definitely in my inbox. So sometimes I'll go through, I'm not very good at cleaning out my email (laughs) Uh inbox. I'll admit that right now. But if I go into my spam folder, I can definitely see the emails were sent there for a reason because I'm pretty interactive with the emails that I want to receive. So the ones that are in my spam folder are normally like if I click on them, it's something that the title says one thing and the body and the content says something completely unrelated to the title of the email.
1: So in particular, I'm thinking of those emails that start with, FWD, making it look like it's a forwarded email, or RE, making it look like it's a reply. Subject lines that are something like your recent order. And then the text is like, hey, hope you're having a great day. We have a new product out. We think you should order it. That's not cool. (laughs) Because people are going to click that and think, oh, wait, this is something I replied to, or this is something forwarded to me. This looks really personal. Or, oh, this looks like an order receipt. I don't remember ordering anything. It's a great way to get a lot more opens than usual, but that shouldn't be your end goal. Your end goal should be to get conversions and clicks and to ultimately get sales of whatever you're promoting or getting views on whatever page you're sending people to. And this does the opposite of that. It usually makes people really frustrated and they're much more likely to mark that message as spam and it will certainly hurt your sender reputation.
0: Right, it just makes you not trust The person who's sending the information, because you feel—I mean, we've said this in the last episode, but it's really true—that on both sides of email are real people, right? And if you don't connect with a person over email, you're probably not going to buy their product. So, even like you said, if you get a lot of opens,
1: that's great, but is that are those opens are they are they helpful? Are they actually going to lead to? a sale, or whatever your metric is that you're looking for, whatever conversion you're looking to achieve from that email. Right.
0: Maybe a sale, maybe a download, maybe just website visits, whatever it is, you're probably not going to get it because they're not going to feel comfortable doing that after they felt betrayed in a way that you sent some misleading information.
1: Exactly. So stay away from that. Remember, and we'll have a whole topic about this in another episode, but OPEN's can be helpful in some ways. In other ways, they are sort of vanity metrics. So your end goal shouldn't be having the highest open rates possible. It really should be having the highest conversion rates possible. And that happens through sending great content, building a relationship with your audience and providing value to them. Um, it doesn't happen by sending gimmicky subject lines that get them to open your email, but then are really frustrated about being misled. And also,
0: I guess a question that I have for you, um, because we mentioned before, like if you just send links or if you just send image and you don't send any content, like what kind of ratio should people look for as far as, you know, that, that text to image ratio?
1: Yeah, perfect. So there are some technical kind of guidelines you should take into account when building the content of your email. And one of them, like you just said, is text to image ratio. There isn't a magic number necessarily that you should have in your head for this ratio, but one really good kind of rule to follow is there should be enough text in the email so that if images don't load, people can still understand exactly what the email was about, what you're saying, and what they should do. And sometimes images don't load. So that also is just a really good practice so that your entire email isn't ruined if images don't load. But also that helps you keep things nice and balanced and doesn't send any red flags. Because there are some spammers out there who have a strategy of sending image-only emails. So that certainly can raise some red flags and look suspicious.
0: That's a really good point.
1: Yeah. Another kind of technical guideline that is really important when it comes to your open rates specifically is your email size. So you'll want to be sure that the size of your email is not over 100 kilobytes, because if it is, it will likely be clipped. So if you've seen that happen before, that's when you open an email and you scroll all the way down to the bottom, and then it says message clipped. And you can click to see more of the email, and typically it'll open in another window. But when that happens, the open tracking pixel also gets clipped, which means Opens are not going to be tracked for that email unless someone clicked to see more of the message. So you might see if you send a longer email or an email with a lot more images than you usually use, you might see a really low open rate. One thing I would check is how large was that email and see if it was clipped.
0: I definitely see this pretty often. People will... like really worried about their open rates and then I'll go in and I'll look at the email and test it myself. And sure enough, it is clipped. So that's another reason sort of like you mentioned the open rates are not always 100%. Like obviously someone saw your email and maybe they got the information they needed and didn't have to click keep reading or show more or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you don't always have to focus solely on the open rates in that particular situation. Another thing that I see quite often are people adding links that are the full URL and that's really overwhelming for someone to look at. I mean, I always have an easier time wanting to click on a link when it's a word that I can associate with. So I mean, even if you use like click here for whatever thing you're trying to send people to or something other
1: than using the full URL that makes a really big impact, Another thing about this that makes it really important to use more like a text or a button when it comes to a link, and don't put the full link and then, you know, link that full link in the email is because if you're using an ESP like ConvertKit, That link doesn't actually go straight to the link that you have pasted there as text. First, it goes to a tracking link that belongs to the ESP. So at ConvertKit, it'll look like el2.convertkit-mail.com. So what's happening on the receiver side is the mailbox provider sees that you have pasted a URL, let's say your website.com but that whenever the mailbox provider looks at that URL, it doesn't go there. It goes somewhere else. And that looks really misleading. And I've seen a lot of times if someone tries to click on that, it'll pop up with a warning and say, this is a suspicious link. So it's always best to use descriptive text, like click here or visit my website or have a button just because it won't look as suspicious to mailbox providers when they see that you are putting in a URL that it doesn't actually go to. Of course, it does go there after being redirected, but the mailbox provider just doesn't know that and they think that you're trying to mislead people.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. I see that pretty frequently as well with customers. And then when we've talked about a little bit already, I think it's a very obvious one, but something that can be when you're very like into your own content and you're excited about what you're sending, I think people do kind of forget how important a clear call to action is. And this is one that we've mentioned some of the people that I really like and even retailers that even though they send me a lot of emails which can be annoying, I do want to receive sales and exclusive offers and those kinds of things, but they make it really easy to get to those. Right. They don't bury it in content.
1: And that's going to help more people take that action because it's so easy to know exactly where to go. If you have some compelling text that tells people why they need to Do the thing that you're asking them to do, maybe a nice image, and then boom, that call to action, it's just so easy as a subscriber to take that action and want to go on to click whatever button they have there is the call to action. And that's a great goal to have as a sender is just how can I make this easy for my subscribers? And make it as appealing as possible.
0: Right. And even kind of on that same note as like the larger retailers, I think there are some that do a really good job of knowing their audience. And they make the, for, for like such a large company who you would think would be like relatively impersonal, they do a really good job of making you feel like you're their only customer. yeah. And those are the ones that I'm really impressed by and the ones that I definitely engage with. So as we've also mentioned before, know your audience and figure out how to make Even though you're sending maybe thousands of emails at one time, how do you make it a little bit more personal so that subscriber feels valued?
1: Yeah, exactly. And within ConvertKit, this is really easy to do through tags. So you can figure out what someone likes maybe by asking them in an email and asking them if you want recipes about vegan food or if you want recipes about baking, click on this button. And if someone clicks the vegan button, you can tag them as vegan. And then from that point forward, you can make sure you're excluding that tag from any recipes that have non-vegan food in them. You can make sure you're sending the vegan recipes to that vegan tag, for example. And that way someone who's a vegan isn't receiving an email from you about the best hamburger recipe ever where they're not going to engage with that. It's just not relevant to them. But if you can segment and tag really well, then you're sending engaging emails to each person on your list and just making your engagement rates go through the roof, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And there's so many customers who are really good at doing that. I always try to use, like when someone's first starting out, I always use like cat and dog people as my example. Mm -hmm. And I try to explain like, there are people who are very, I mean, Alyssa, you're one of those people, (laughs) you're a cat person.
1: (laughs) And yes, I didn't
0: know I was, but I am. Yeah, and so like, I don't necessarily wanna send you the best dog treats that you can make from home. Right. Um, Cause that's not gonna apply to you. So the people who are getting those ROI on what they're sending are the people who know how to organize their audience.
1: Yep, such a good point. And this is already handled for you if you're a ConvertKit customer, but I just have to say it be sure that it's easy to unsubscribe. This is one that a lot of people will try and manipulate a little bit, not on ConvertKit, but just in general in the email world. And you might've seen it before. Maybe they will make the unsubscribe really tiny at the very bottom of the email. Maybe they'll even make the text color match the background. Whatever it is, make sure that that's not happening. It should be so easy to click the unsubscribe button and to almost instantly be unsubscribed. They shouldn't have to fill out any information on that page to be unsubscribed because the harder it is to unsubscribe, the more likely someone's going to mark that message as spam. It's also just a terrible experience. It is a terrible experience. And
0: I personally have unsubscribed from lists because I've been sort of sick of receiving maybe certain kinds of emails, but then I've actually gone back and resubscribed. But I probably wouldn't do that as a user if that person made it extremely
1: difficult for me to unsubscribe. Right. Yeah, you'd be like, please do not send me any more emails. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you've already sealed your fate. I'm not coming back. Right. And that is a good point. It's also good to have a preferences center so that people can kind of pick and choose how often they want to hear from you. This is something you can also do in Tags and convert kit in your welcome emails that you send to your list, feel free to ask them right then and there. How often do you want to receive my recipes, my newsletter, whatever it may be? And you can have buttons that say daily, weekly, monthly, and then send to those tags appropriately. So it's always good to make sure you are not over emailing people, but also not under emailing them. So the best thing to do is give them the power to choose How often they want to hear from you. So also another thing to keep in mind, when you're sending
0: an email, make your sender name, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, make sure your sender name and your email address is easily recognizable because I follow a lot of customers. I do a lot of testing for customers. So my inbox is full of a lot of our our customers' emails, their sender name, and their, their titles of their emails. And you definitely start to Naturally remember who's emailing you frequently. And you'll be able to, like, it's really weird how it happens, but you'll be able to, like, zone in on the people that you kind of recognize and know. And you want that to happen to your subscribers because they're probably receiving a lot of mail from maybe you're a smaller company and you're competing with someone like Macy's. You'll want to make sure, I mean, Macy's is pretty distinct. And I see those emails because I have a Macy's credit card. And so I'll see emails coming from them. But And so I know who they are. But there are smaller companies and businesses that may have to work a little bit harder to be recognized. So it's really important that you make that sender name not, first of all, not confusing because I do see that often too where it doesn't really make sense why it says the person's name maybe and then like the business. Sometimes that makes sense. But if you have a really long name and a really long business name, it kind of looks jumbled. Right. And then the same for the title of the email. You want it to be straightforward and to the point, but you also want to be able to draw that person in and understand what, like like you said, why they want to open the email.
1: Exactly. Yeah, You pretty much said it all, but I was especially thinking of that last point you made. I will see sometimes people build an audience using their brand name and their company name. And then suddenly, one random day, they send out an email from John Smith and you're like, No one knows who that is. They know your company name. So people are going to be confused. And like we said earlier, it might actually lead to more opens because people are like, wait, who is this? I don't remember signing up for this, but it's not a good experience because they end up thinking, oh, it's just this company and I don't like feeling confused. So It's always good to stick with whatever people are familiar with. If you do wanna send a more personal email from your company, then yeah, you can experiment with John from company, but make sure that company name is visible in the sender name and that it's really clear who the message is coming from, because one of the top reasons people mark a message as spam is because they think, I don't know who this is. I didn't sign up for this. So you never want to create those sorts of feelings with your subscribers because you've done something to confuse them. Right.
0: It's just like receiving a call from a number you don't know. I mean, it's, it's really similar to that feeling. I'm not going to answer if I don't know who it is.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't know this person. No one likes to receive unsolicited email for the most part. So make sure that people understand, oh yes, I know this brand. I like this brand. I signed up for this brand and here's the email. I'm expecting this. I will open it and maybe click on whatever they want me to click on.
0: Right. And that doesn't, and like we said before, you know that doesn't mean you can't experiment with little changes here and there to make the user experience a little bit versatile, but it doesn't have to be anything that causes confusion and makes people feel uncomfortable.
1: Yes, you've said it perfectly. So in summary, content definitely matters, just not in the way that many people think it does. You should worry less about using spammy words that will send you straight to the spam folder and instead worry about sending engaging, relevant and personal content that your subscribers want to engage with. Yes. Love it. Perfect. Oh, that was fun. Can't wait for next week. Content is a great topic because there's a lot out there that's a bit confusing. Yes. So hopefully we've cleared things up. But if you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to us. You can go to convertkit.com slash deliverability to ask us a question. We would love to hear from you. See you later. We hope to see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's
0: show at convertkit.com deliverability, where we outline all of the information you
1: need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.